Welcome, basketball fans. Brent, I appreciate your enthusiasm and your passion. There's a small lesson you have to know about doing this, and that is know your audience. <laughs> and uh, this group came out to hear a sermon instead of watch Super Bowl Sunday, so that will tell you we are not about the games. I'm, I'm just teasing. We are in the book of John, and we're going to deal with it. We have a lot to cover tonight, and I realize I'm up against some other things, so I thought I would just help you out and just give you a running score as we go along and tell you what the score of the game is. I figured you'd probably know you're saying that. Okay. <laughs> we are in the book of John. See, told you. Uh, book of John, chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 4. Book of John, chapter 1, verse 4. We've uh, been going through this, as I've said, slowly, deliberately, thoughtfully, methodically, uh, in, in the effort to dig down and kind of savor each morsel that the apostle of love has to give us. Uh, we said uh, the, with the first lesson of verses 1 through 3 that John's focus here is putting very, very heavy theology, very deep theology in simple terms that a common person, a common reader would be able to understand. But his purpose is very clear. He is makes uh, some books you have to kind of wonder what was the purpose of, of this? Why did the author write it? Uh, John makes no bones about it. Verse 30 of chapter 20, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So everything he gets to, every miracle, every encounter, every conversation that's recorded, every prayer, all of that is for one purpose, and that is to drive us back to believing in Jesus. And so as we encounter this journey, as we go along, uh, we want to think back and keep John's purpose in mind. We said last time that the Word, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. We, we looked at that in a number of different ways. The Word was central to their life. Uh, the, the Jewish people who would have been reading this, it was full of blessings. They understood and believed what, John, or, uh, what the Word allowed their life to experience and to have, how God worked in that. The word is eternal and secure. It was unending. The, the, the truth of it was not limited to the, the scope of my life. Uh, and, in fact, he points to the eternal things uh, quite often as we'll go through this book. And, finally, the word brings us closer to God, which is kind of one of those, like, well, according, we sort of expect that, but... It's not always true that you can read the Bible, and sometimes people read the Bible and do not draw closer to God, do not draw closer to the author. It's about checking off today's reading. It's about getting through the thing. And the purpose of the Word was bring you, to bring you back to the author. And in fact, Jesus would later say that these, words, these very words that I've read testify about me, and yet you, here I am, and you fail to recognize that fact. We're in verse 4 tonight, is where we begin. John writes, In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. <clears throat> darkness uh, in Genesis chapter 1 was really not an entity of itself. Darkness is not an entity. It's merely the absence of light. Physically, that's true. Spiritually, that's true. And in the beginning, there was darkness. Before God set there, let, set, said, let there be light in his first words. The reason, of course, is that life, in order for life to happen, light must exist. Both then and in our study of John, we have to have the light before we can have life. Uh, this has been told to us throughout the ages. Uh, in the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, the people have seen, uh, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Psalm chapter 27, probably a, a pretty well known one. The Lord is my light in my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm not sure what, why this in particular, I mean, I'm just speaking as a parent, uh, but with both of my children, um, not so much Tyler anymore, but both of them at, at one point, and Grace now, they have little lights in their room. I put them to bed, and almost invariably after we pray together and sing together, they'll ask to make, if I haven't already, make sure I have turned on the light. There's something comforting in the light, something um, not just temporarily comforting, but eternally comforting as well. Psalm 33, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And as Psalm 119, probably as well known as Psalm 127, I, your word is a lamp for my feet and it is a light to my path. The light illuminates not only where we should go, but also if we are ourselves, it doesn't just show us the right path, but also shows if we are on that path. 100, verse 130 of that same psalm says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. In this series, we're looking at a lot of Old Testament scriptures that illuminate or that open up a little bit more John's understanding. Because of course, John would have had the New Testament. And understanding the Old Testament helps us to understand his perspective in using the language that he did. The unfolding of your words give light. I really do believe that that's true, that the scripture uh, very often testifies to itself. If you don't understand a passage or a word or the context, uh, oftentimes there's another place in Scripture where you can go, and that unfolding will give light. Jewish rabbis used to talk that uh, studying the Scripture is like the turning of a diamond. And as you turn it, the light is reflected in different ways. You have the same diamond, but the light is reflected differently. So it's important for us to understand the word and to understand how that illuminates. And, of course, the living word is what totally gives us illumination and life. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light, this is so appropriate this year with our light of life theme, made his light to shine in our Hearts to give us the knowledge, uh, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
God's whole purpose, you see, was, was to illuminate, to bring forth light in the beginning, in the word, through his son, and now in us. He pours his word into our hearts, his light in our lives. What's interesting to me is this is going to culminate in eternity. When we finally get to the eternal abode, our home with our creator, listen to how John describes that great city in Revelation chapter 21. The city doesn't need the sun, S-U-N, or the moon to shine on it, for it, uh, for with the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. What a beautiful picture. It's hard to imagine, uh, because in this world we always have a source of light, you know. You'd notice pretty quickly if those lights up there went off, or those lights went off. Um, the source is readily imminent. In that world, too, it will, he will be readily imminent, but different, different than what we're used to. Jesus is not just the light, but he's also the life of men. Um, he will say later that in chapter 6, verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. All right, looking at verse, uh, verses 6 through 8, there was a man sent from God whose name is John. He came as a witness to bear, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Um, I love how John the Apostle describes John the Baptist. John was certainly clear about his role. He was, his purpose was not to bring glory to himself. He was not the light, but only a witness to the light. Um, when I was studying, I remembered that in junior high, I had just changed from uh, going to Clearwater Middle School to Mulvane Junior High. I was very new. I'd only been at school maybe a week. And um, I was in PE class. And after class, we went to the locker room to change, and there was a fight that broke out in the locker room. Now, I know what you're all thinking. It's got to be me involved because I'm so ripped. But no, I was simply a witness to the fight. Okay? And I can remember Coach pulling me into the office and I need to talk to you about what happened in the locker room. Now, I was just totally like I was a new school, new coach, new people. I didn't know what to think. He asked me a series of questions. He says, thank you for, for tell, telling me. And later, I mean, it just bothered me that whole morning. And I saw him later on this afternoon. I think he was maybe my science teacher as well. or He, he was involved in another part of the day. And I said, hey, I just wanted to clarify, am I in trouble for that? He said, no, of course not. He said, I just needed someone who was in there because I wasn't in there when it happened. I needed a witness to the altercation. This is what John says he is. I'm not, I'm not involved in this. I'm not the guy. I'm not the light. I'm just a witness to the light. Um, in John chapter 3, verses 27 through 30, the apostle John records uh, this uh, uh, about John the Baptist's testimony of himself. 
He says, verse 27, A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. That can keep you chewing all day. But we're, we don't have all day. We've got a, a game to get to. So, Verse 28, You yourself bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. You think about John's entire life. His purpose was to be a witness and a voice, not of himself, not testimony, testifying to what he had did, even though by every measure he was certainly an intriguing figure. He drew crowds out. He drew Pharisees out. He drew teachers of the law. Um, uh, let's see, I think it's Luke that says that the whole Judean countryside came out to see him, to hear this prophet in the wilderness. And, and with all of that notoriety certainly came the un, certainly was the temptation to take that for himself. And John never did it. John's whole purpose was to point back to the one to whom he was making way, uh, making straight the way. I mean, from, from, from in the womb, Luke chapter 1 verse 41 tells us that he leapt. That he, when he heard about Jesus, he, he leapt with joy. I love that John and Jesus were together, you know, John his whole life. And so every testimony that he had was an eyewitness encounter. And he knew very clearly that it was not about him. Scott prayed tonight. He said, let our lives reflect you. And you only. Well, that's a John the Baptist prayer. That's that's his whole purpose. Um, take just a, a little bit of a detour. Turn to Matthew chapter three, verse seven. We're going to look at some real quickly here, um, since John, the book of John, talks about John the Baptist. Chapter Matthew chapter three, verse seven. But when he saw, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Well, that's... He was saying that to the Pharisees. Which means nothing to a Gentile audience, but to that world, that was just almost bordering on disrespectful. Verse 15, so we know that John was, from that, that experience in verse 7, he was courageous. In verse 15 of Matthew chapter 3. Starting verse 14, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. 
And then John consented. And John was absolutely obedient to what, even to what he didn't understand. I mean, he had the same questions that you and I have. Jesus, why are you being baptized? Jesus says it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness to which all of us go, what does that mean? But instead of continuing to question it, John, John consents and he says, I don't, I don't fully understand it, but I'll do it because you say so. So he was courageous. He was obedient. Turn to the book of Mark, chapter 1. This is the one I was referencing earlier. It was Mark, not Luke. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Okay? We know that he was powerful. He wasn't afraid to, to speak what was true and what was right. Go down to, let's see, verse 7. And this was his message, at least as Mark records it. After me will come one more powerful than I. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He was not just powerful, and he not only was able to speak truth to power, but when he came in the presence of power, he was absolutely humble. He realized not just who Jesus was, but who he was as well. And let's circle back to the book of John. We'll come to John chapter 5 in the year 2019, I think. But John chapter 5, verse 35, Jesus said this, and I just love this in our year, talking about light. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. He was zealous. He was zealous, he was courageous, he was obedient, he was powerful, he was humble. John, I mean, it was hard to beat John the Baptist. And yet he wouldn't desire that I or any other pulpit teach any sort of of honor about him because his whole life was burning to reflect the light of Christ. He was not the light, but he came to share about the light. You and I are not the light, but we have the exact same mission as John. He must increase. We, you and I, we must decrease. May we, in our lives, reflect his light and burn as passionately as John, and may every amount of light that comes through us be about reflecting the glory of Christ. Peter says this, in Second Peter chapter one verse sixteen, we did not follow clearly invented story, cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. John, I mean, he was an eyewitness his whole life, and he he didn't let that stop him from the purpose of his life, which was to reflect Christ, to give him the adoration, the praise, and the focus. Verses 9 through 11, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet 
the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Um, When you think about, in our world, as powerful and as bright as our sun is, which in the whole universe is not very big, but pretty, pretty bright and powerful to us. And for as bright and powerful as it is, it can never illuminate, it can never reach everyone at one time. You know, there's always half of the, half of the spear that's, that's on the, the shadowy side. Jesus, the true light, can illuminate all hearts. Uh, and it's not about the power or the, the, the uh, it's, it's not about the, well, okay, let me skip down here for a second. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. I get too far ahead of myself talking about the, the light here, but Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Paul writes, <clears throat> um, I'll start at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were, be, were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether, on the, uh, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He, as does John, point back to this fact that although he was there for a certain time when the incarnate word, when he lived on earth, he was certainly before that, and he's certainly after that. He's the firstborn among the dead. Um, Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Yet though he was the original Light, the only true and living light. Not everyone recognized this fact. Didn't happen then and doesn't happen today. This is my opinion, uh, and I'll give you a scripture where I get that from. But I think Jesus, one of Jesus' largest obstacles was his commonness. Isaiah chapter 53 describes the Savior in this way. He grew up before him like a a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. I don't know, obviously, from firsthand experience, 
what Jesus physically looked like, but there was something about him that was normal. There wasn't anything particularly majestic. You wouldn't look at him and say, ah, there's a ruler, there's a king, there's a master. Uh, There was something about him that was all too familiar and common. It's interesting to me that God often uses the familiar and the common as he intersects with our life here in this world. Um, It was said of Jesus, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? We see him hanging out in the shop with Joseph. What's this guy doing? You know, when you hear uh, a person like that and who... As he proclaimed to be the Son of God, and, and as, of course, Jesus, uh, John pointed toward him, most everybody in their mind must have thought, Jesus? I've seen him hanging around here. I mean, this guy is like you and I. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13 is, uh, is where that's found. Uh, verse 54. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished... And said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brother, brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Jesus would later say that a prophet is without honor in his hometown. And uh, that's true because people know the, the prophet. They they have seen him grow up, and they, they don't really pay much attention to his words. Or at least, if they are true, they begin to question how they could be true. We expect greatness to come uh, from somewhere outside of our backyard. All right, well, we can go through these words of chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Uh, some things that we can, can learn and view as we uh, think about them. Number one, Jesus brings life to the dead. Uh, bringing life to the dead was something that Jesus did. He didn't do it often, but again and again, as, and as an eternally deep well of living water, Jesus gives new life to souls that are dead in sin, hearts that are dead in themselves, and minds that are deceased to the work of God. In John chapter 5, Verse 21 and following, the apostle would write this, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever hears my words, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Just as his words created life, created life in the beginning, created life within us when he knits you together in your mother's womb, his word and his spirit can give you life today. And not just when you begin your journey, as we talked about this morning, but as you're on the journey, he reinvigorates us with life. <clears throat> Paul wrote this to to Timothy. He said, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, 
which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. A dead man cannot revive himself. Life must be given to him. And this is a wonderful work of God. We understand that he alone is the source of life. It will help us to release control in our lives and stop relying so much on ourselves. Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. We trust in him who raises the dead. Not that he just raised the dead back in Jesus' time or even before that. Not that he just raised the dead on resurrection day, that he will raise the dead on resurrection day. But he raises dead men to life today. The deadness of being in sin and the deadness of being dead to the gospel. Number two, Jesus brings light into the darkness. Dark can get really dark. Pay attention to the news. Uh, Turn on the network news for ten minutes. Scroll through your Twitter feed. Look at what's going on in the world. Light always overcomes the darkness. Light always overcomes the darkness. And that's hard to believe when you live in dark times. Think about the world that Jesus came into. Light came into a dark world and darkness sought to destroy it. Darkness caused the slaughter of infant boys when Jesus came into the world. King Herod tried to kill him. And to do that, he he killed a bunch of little boys that were two years old and under. And we're told of that, that there was a sound of Rachel weeping. A lot of darkness in the world. Darkness sought to enslave Jesus to sin by tempting him in the wilderness. Tempting him with the physical, tempting him with power, tempting him with pride. It was all the same basic temptations, but it was darkness that did it. Darkness covered the land for three hours at the cross. It's interesting to me that during his trial, there's, I believe it's in John, there's an account where Jesus says, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. You want to see how dark the world can get? Focus on the cross. Go to Golgotha. And see what happens when darkness reigns. And yet light shines in the darkness. We, like John, are not the light, but we're witnesses to, the, to it and reflectors of it. You are the light of the world. Not to hide the light, not to lurk in the shadows, but to let him shine through you. Now the light may bring the attention and the glory to you, but follow John's example. I'm not the light. I'm not the light. He's the light. All right, we'll uh, finish up with point number three. Not everyone seeks life or desires the light. I think sometimes 
we feel ashamed or reluctant to share the light and let the light shine because we foresee how people might respond in a negative way. But that's not our responsibility. How people respond to the good news, to the light of Christ, is on them. It's not on us. And so that can remind us that our responsibility is to simply let the light shine through us. John chapter 3, verse 19. is very interesting to me. This is the judgment. And the light has come into the world. And people loved darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Every immoral behavior, every sin flourishes in darkness. Sometimes that's the literal darkness when you turn out the lights. A famous preacher I heard once say, nothing good happens after midnight. Why is that? No, there's something about it. Darkness affects our emotions. It affects our understanding. It affects our idea that somehow we're under a cloak. That while we're in the dark, the things we do cannot be seen. But it's also true, not just physically, but it's true spiritually. We believe that when we're in the dark, that we can't be seen. That we're unseen. That the things which we do and which we think are unnoticed by God. But we must remember that no matter what happens, and regardless of what men choose in this world, light always overcomes the darkness. Darkness is doomed to defeat. And so this is why, as children of light, walking in the light of life, we must choose to love the light. We must choose to love the light of Christ. And so tonight as we finish... My question to you is, have you made that choice? Have you chose to love light instead of darkness? If you haven't made that decision, I want you to tell you that the light can begin illuminating your soul and your heart tonight. But without the light, well, if you wait long enough, without the light, uh, there's only one path where that leads, the eternal darkness. And you don't want to go there, and we don't want you to go there. If we can help you in any way tonight, please meet me down front. I'll be glad to help you step into the light or be encouraged as to walk in the light. Whatever your need, please come as we stand and sing.